Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. So today we mark the official beginning of the Advent season. And so we want to take just a few minutes at the top of the service to think about the significance of Advent. I think for many of us now, at least for me, one of the things I think most of with Advent is Advent calendars, right? You open the little flap. If you're lucky, there's a chocolate inside, you know? Now I feel like you can get an Advent calendar for anything. I think you can get one for the dog. You can get one that has jam every day. You can get any sort of Advent calendar, right? But Advent... When, thinking, when we're thinking of it as a season of the church calendar, is so much more significant. So Advent is actually a Latin word, and it means coming or arrival. And it's the season where we remember the years and years and years that the Israelites waited for the promised Messiah, that the prophets kept saying would come. They waited and waited, and finally he came at Christmas. And so at Advent, we remember that waiting and long for Jesus alongside the Israelites. But we also are in a second season of waiting. And so we are people who, in the course of human history, are actually in between two comings of Jesus. The first, when he was born as a baby in Bethlehem that we celebrate on Christmas. And yet we're still waiting for the promised second coming of Jesus. We are waiting for the, when he will come, when he will return in glory, when he will return to redeem all things, when he will usher in new creation and new earth and there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death. We're still waiting for that second coming of Jesus. And so this is what we remember at Advent, that we once waited and Jesus came. And we're waiting again because he will come again. And one of the traditions that we really use in the church to, to mark the passing of Advent is the Advent wreath. And the Advent wreath actually began as a German and Scandinavian, Scandinavian practice within the home. They would take these candles. It didn't matter then what colors they were or if they were in a line or in a circle. They would just light one with each passing week. And they did this to mark the time and the increase of light each week in the face of increasing darkness as the winter solstice was coming. And so this, to me, just really captures why we still light our Advent candles today. It is to remember that Christ always brings increasing light in the face of darkness. And so today, we light our first Advent candle, which we use to signify hope. And we remember that hope has come in the person of Jesus. And 
hope will (laughs) come again. Here we go. So hope has come. Hope will come again. That is what we remember. So um, now we're officially into the Christmas season. It's the first week of Advent. I hope you have your decorations up. I hope Mariah Carey is playing in your house. Woo! Oh, yeah. Hear those jingle bells, right? And uh, so, uh, man, uh, it's just an awesome Christmas time. My family and I, we've begun our Christmas traditions. One of the things we do every year is we go to the same Santa every single year at one of the local malls. And we took our family picture for our kids visiting Santa Claus to give them our list. And so here's my kids. Uh, Look carefully. My girls look so nice, which they're wearing the dresses that their grandmother made. So, Linda, if you're watching, thank you. And my boys, well, my boys, um, they're, they're also wearing what their grandmother made them, but we're having a little bit of a problem here. In fact, let's zoom in a little bit on Asa having a full-blown Santa panic attack and, <laughs> and his big brother, Cade, trying to corral him. <laughs> this was the best picture we got the whole time there. While the picture's happening, I'm just giggling, going, I know which one I'm buying. <laughs> so... Merry Christmas to everybody. Christmas season has begun, and we're so excited about that. So here's where I want to start today. I want to start with talking about Christmas symbols, Christmas symbols. I think it is so weird that we live in South Florida. We are close to the equator. Newsflash, it's warm all the time here. We have two seasons, hot and hotter, right? Okay? And so I think it's a little silly that we try to celebrate Christmas with all of the trappings of what people normally do with Christmas, which usually for us, it's like northern weather, or from it's kind of carried over from European weather with Christmas, but we pretend to go along with it in South Florida. Like one of the first things that people think of with Christmas, just go ahead and shout it, what's the first thing you think of with Christmas? Snow, right? Snow. Snow and snowmen, and I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, and the number one most depressing song for children in December is let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, never will it snow in South Florida during Christmas. And so I just think it's a little silly and a little ridiculous. Like, man, I feel left out. South Florida feels left out. Man, come on. Well, I also think about chestnuts roasting on an open fire. How many of you actually roast chestnuts on an open fire? How many of you actually have a fireplace? Not many. Now, we're in Loxahatchee. I know you might have fire pits, okay? (laughs) We have fire pits, but we don't have fireplaces. In Florida, what do we do? We put a fireplace on our TV, right? How many of you have done that before? How many of you have done that before? How many of you are just now learning this and you now have a Christmas new decoration? All right. I was at a friend's house last night and this was their living room, just a gorgeously decorated, gorgeous Christmas tree. Look, there's snow on top and there's their fireplace brought to you by Samsung. (laughs) Now, this is a thing where people have a Yule log video that goes like for an hour or two hours or three hours on TV. People have a lot of different versions of these Yule Log videos. Um, my kid's favorite one is to have Olaf and a Yule Log from Arendelle from Frozen. Oh, so this is on Disney Plus, so you could do that. Oh, I found out Olaf only shows up every 10 minutes. I spent time learning that this week at sermon prep. You're welcome. <laughs> my favorite Yule Log instead, um, instead of Olaf, it's having Ron Swanson stare at me for an hour. This is my favorite one. <laughs> This exists, you're welcome, brought to you by the internet, where Ron stares at you 
and just shakes his cup and looks at the camera for an hour straight and doesn't say a word with the fire going on in the background. Manly and America. There it is. Love it. So all these, like we feel left out in South Florida with all these Christmas symbols. Well, I've decided to create a Christmas symbol, or not create, but maybe suggest a Christmas symbol that is from South Florida to the rest of the world and to America that's just for us. Sound good? All right. Here is a symbol for Christmas that is more Christmas than snow and fire and chestnuts and all that other stuff. It's the ocean. Where's my beach people at? Where's my ocean people? Yeah, that's right. Um, My dad's favorite place in the whole world is to go walk on the beach with my mom and to walk in the sand with the waves lapping over his feet. He says that's his little picture of heaven, right? Anybody else love that? Now, the ocean, I think, is a wonderful picture for Christmas. And I want to tell you why. I read this quote um, in a book I was reading when I was in seminary, and that's a school where people learned how to go be a pastor. I was reading a book, a very old book, from like the year 300 or 400. It was by a guy named Athanasius, who was an early church leader. Now, I wasn't reading this for a class. It was a book really about Christmas. And he spent his whole time talking about how amazing all the things that Jesus did in being born as a human being, being born in Bethlehem, and all the things that he accomplished. And the last line of the book that I read, you know how most books, after you get through the first two chapters, that's really all the author had to say in its filler after that? The best line of the whole book was the last line of the book. And I want to share it with you today what this has to do with an ocean. I remember reading this when I was in seminary and thinking, I'm a Florida boy, I'm going back to Florida, and whatever church I'm in, we're always going to read this quote. Check this out. St. Athanasius said this, In short, such and so many are the Savior's achievements that follow from his incarnation. That's what we're talking about during Christmas. That to try to number all of these achievements is like gazing at the open sea and trying to count the waves. Try going to the beach. Try counting the waves. You'll lose count pretty quickly, right? At Christmas, you can go to the ocean. And with each wave that comes lapping in, you can thank God for what he did for you in sending Jesus. One after another, after another, after another. Two, you just can't keep count or keep up anymore. I'm here to tell you today, this week, and every week for the next several weeks leading up to Christmas Eve, Christmas is like counting waves. Amen? So we're going to count three waves over the next three weeks of our church of the significance of what Jesus has accomplished in being born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. What does that mean for you today in 2023? Our passage for today comes from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. So if you're able, would you please stand? We have a tradition for whenever we read the, the word of God here at our church that we stand in honor of it. And we believe that when we, when we read this, that it reads us. So, verse 14 through 18, this is what it says. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. 
For this reason, he had to be made like them. That's you and me. He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Okay, let's briefly unpack what we're talking about here. If you're new to church, you've heard us talk about this, and you heard it in the quote that I just read. We're talking about this word here, incarnation. Incarnation. Now, now it's not carne asada, okay? Incarnation. I'm hungry, apparently. And um, incarnation is a Latin word that means flesh. Uh, the incarnation is the distinct Christian idea. This is what makes Christianity different than any other world religion. Um, truly, there is no other religion, even the pantheon of a, of a, of, um, a, a polytheist a culture that might have thousands of gods, there is no religion in the entire world that has this idea. This is what makes Christianity different. The incarnation is what Christians basically believed in a nutshell is that when God became, that God became a human being and that human being's name is Jesus of Nazareth. That's what we believe. Uh, we believe that God in taking on human flesh was not uh, putting on a human costume and we don't believe that God became a human and then demoted himself from being God that the exact same time, miraculously, by work of grace, that Jesus is 100% God, fully God, and 100% human, fully human, all in one being, Jesus of Nazareth. So incarnation, it means flesh. This is what we celebrate during the Christmas season. So look at this, Matthew 1, 23. This is the angel speaking to Joseph. Um, if you're new to scripture, in Matthew, in the beginning of Matthew, it's really the story of Jesus' birth from uh, Jesus' earthly adoptive father, Joseph, from his perspective. Luke is really from Jesus' mother's perspective, Mary. So this is from Joseph's perspective. An angel spoke to Joseph, quoting scripture, saying, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, say it with me, God with us incarnation. The most important verse in the Bible, not the most popular, the most popular verse in the Bible, um, thanks to people like Tim Tebow, is John 3.16, okay? For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, yada, yada. But the most, I, should, I just said yada, yada with John 3.16. I'm sorry, okay. <laughs> the most important verse in the Bible, I'm sorry, your pastor's dumb, I'm sorry. <laughs> The most important verse in the Bible isn't John 3.16, but John 1.14. And this here, again, this makes Christianity different than any other faith in, in the world. It says, for the word, Jesus became flesh and made his dwelling among us, incarnation. Um, he, um, Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of this, says, for the word became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This is who Jesus is towards you. He's full of grace and truth. So this is what we're talking about with the incarnation. This is the general idea about it. Now, the passage you read from the book of Hebrews just a few moments ago does not have nativity scenes in it. It does not have angels or shepherds or magi or Joseph or Mary, but it is absolutely an incarnation Christmas passage. If you're new to the book of Hebrews, um, we don't know who the author of this book was. They're unnamed. It's different than the other books in the New Testament. 
Um, many scholars believe that um, the book of Hebrews potentially could have been a sermon manuscript that was circling around in the early church. That's why we don't know who wrote it, because whoever preached it first didn't need to introduce themselves like they had to do in other letters in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews, the gift of it for the entire Bible, is it's the one book where it gives the most clearest connection between the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament, as Christians call it, and the Christian New Testament. The book of Hebrews is the one that marries those two together to help you understand why they're so interconnected. So we find ourselves in Hebrews 2, verse 14. It says here in the first part, since children, that's us, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. If you're taking notes of your Bible or in an app, I encourage you to underline that. He too shared in their humanity. That's super important. Then verse 17. For this reason, he had to be made like them. Here it is again. Fully human in every way. In every way that it means for you to be human, Jesus became human. Physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, Jesus became fully human. One of the best descriptors of this um, is from a famous Christian author named Max Licato. Everyone ever heard of Max Licato before? And he just has a wonderful way of putting on a fresh coat of paint on an old idea that if you've been around church for a while, you get kind of numb to some of these things, and he makes it fresh and lively. Max Licato says this about this idea of Jesus being fully human. He said this, Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. Did you hear that? The universe watched with wonder as the Almighty learned to walk. Children played in the street with him. And had, did the synagogue leader in Nazareth know who was listening to his sermons? <laughs> Gulp. <laughs> um, Jesus may have had pimples. He may have been tone deaf. Perhaps a girl down the street had a crush on him or vice versa. It could be that his knees were bony. One thing's for sure, while he was completely divine, he was completely human. For 33 years, he would feel everything you and I have ever felt. He felt weak. He grew weary. He was afraid of failure. He was susceptible to wooing women. He got colds. He burped. He had body odor. His feelings got hurt. His feet got tired, and he got headaches. To think of Jesus in such a light as well seems almost like irreverent, doesn't it? It's like sacrilegious to say those things. Um, but it's not something we like to do, and it's uncomfortable. It's much easier to keep the humanity out of the incarnation. It's much easier to clean the manure out of the stable and out of the manger. To wipe the sweat out of his eyes and to pretend that Jesus never snored, and to pretend that he never blew his nose, and to pretend that Jesus never hit his thumb with a hammer. <laughs> Fully human in every way. Um, my professors in seminary would say things like, the significance of this means Jesus has completely identified with humanity in its fullest way possible. I think an easier way to say that is he gets us. He gets us. He gets you completely. All of you and all of us, he gets us.
In fact, that might sound familiar to you. How many of you have seen these ads on TV or on the internet? The He Gets Us campaign, right? Um, if you haven't, you, they've all over the place. They are um, all over the internet, all over NCAA games, all over championship games. They even had a great ad in the Super Bowl that created a lot of buzz. This is the single largest evangelistic marketing campaign ever. A group of Christians have committed in the first wave $100 million to market this one thing. They want to reintroduce people to the Jesus of the Bible and his confounding love and forgiveness. Amen, right? And what they're doing, they're not saying, Jesus died for you, repent sinners, you dirty sinners, repent. They're not saying that. They're using the incarnation. Jesus gets you. He understands you. He understood what it feels like to be betrayed. Jesus understood what it was like to have his feelings hurt. Jesus understood what it was like to have his religious community reject him. Jesus knew what it was like to be afraid of dying. Jesus knows what it was like to die. Jesus knows what it was like to be physically violated. He knows what it was like to be wrongly judged and misunderstood. He gets us, all of us. My favorite one that just came out for Christmas tells the story about a, uh, about a young girl who gets pregnant. The boyfriend isn't the father but decides to marry her anyway and marry the child. And when the baby is born... The young man puts the baby in a manger and then says on the screen, Jesus was born to a teen mom. He gets us, all of us. Jesus gets you because he became fully human. He not only gets you, guys, he also gets our world. He gets our world. The world that he was born into was not this happy, clappy, perfect world. Jesus was born into um, political strife and war and genocide and pain and suffering. He gets us and he gets our world. I grew up in the Tampa Bay area and the prominent newspaper now is called the Tampa Bay Times, but it just was rebranded that maybe like 10 years ago. For most of my life and for 100 years, it's actually called the St. Pete Times. And the St. Petersburg Times, this is from Christmas Day, 1962. There's a note from the editor in the front of the newspaper. It says, good news today, where the editor said, only today on the front page of our newspaper will be good news only. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I wish they would do that a whole lot more, right? So like, let's find all the bad news. No, can we just have some good news? So anyway, they said on the front page of the paper, only good news. If I'm looking for a Christmas symbol for Florida, here's one. Santa Claus on a lounge chair by a pool with his feet up. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, and they talk about Christmas and people worshiping Jesus and going to the Holy Land. And oh, it's just amazing. Santa snoozes by a swimming pool after his big night. Christmas spirit reborn in Kentucky. Prince of Peace revered across Christian world. Wow, 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 wow. But the editor said, good news on the front page only, but if you turn the page and then go to page three, we'll have the real front page for the real world news. And here's the real world news that day. There's violence in Congo. A mass gunman stole $100,000 in Chicago. Nine children and a father died in a fire. Horrible news. Painful news. Violence and death and suffering. Jesus was not born to a whitewashed world. He was born to the real world, your world. He gets you, and he gets our world. So if we're counting waves, 
of the significance of Christmas and the incarnation and saying thank you to God for all that he's done. Here's the first wave that we're counting. He gets you. And this is why this wave matters. It matters because, because Jesus became fully human. That means he is compassionate towards us. Because he gets you. He's compassionate towards you. Let's go back to Hebrews. Verse 17 says, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Because Jesus became like us, his heart fully goes out to you because he walked in your shoes and has suffered through all the things that people suffer through. His heart goes out to him. Do you know the two most powerful words in the English language? I understand. Um, I hate really bad customer service. Anybody else here hate bad customer service? It's like my... It's like my one pet peeve. So, so somebody just said, I understand. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's my like one pet peeve. I will lose my Christianity over a bad customer service experience. And uh, the best customer service I've ever seen, uh, one of them is actually at the Apple store. They just train their people really, really well. I have seen people losing their stuff on some poor Apple employee. And because they've been trained well, you know what they do? They nod their head and they look at a person and go, I understand. And it completely diffuses the situation. Have you ever had somebody come up to you when you were hurting and step into your pain and look at you and say, I understand? Isn't that a healing thing? It's a validating thing. Made you feel not alone anymore? This is what Jesus has come to do for you and for me. Because he stepped into our pain, he knows and he gets it. Dr. Steve Siemens says this, a mentor of mine and professor and author says, God, then in the person of his son, knows how we feel and fully understands us. His knowledge of our predicament is not distant, secondhand, or theoretical, but it's direct, firsthand, and personal. God is not a stoic, unmoved mover. Think about your pain in your life. God is not unmoved by it. Oh, go back to the quote, please. Wasn't done. God is not an unmoved mover, but he is empathic fellow sufferer who understands. Because he gets us, he's compassionate towards us. Because Jesus became fully human, he's able to not only be compassionate towards us, but he's able to help us and to help us specifically in temptation. When we're struggling, back to Hebrews, Hebrews 2. It says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then this author picks up this idea later in chapter 4, verse 15, where he says, for we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Okay, so he's compassionate towards us. He gets it, and yet he did not sin. So check this out. Jesus, because he was fully human, experienced the gamut of every temptation. We know he, when he went into the desert, Satan himself came and tempted Jesus. Like, I don't know about you. I know I've been tempted, but I am not that high in the totem pole. And I don't think Satan himself has ever come to tempt me to do something. I'm just not that important. I don't know about you. Okay? Jesus had what scripture says, the devil himself 
come and tempt him with the same temptations you and I face and always falls into one of three buckets. Prestige or pleasure or power. It's always one of those three. And Jesus said no. You ever asked, or let me say it this way. Would you ever ask somebody financial advice who's broke? Probably not. Would you ever ask someone fitness advice who hasn't worked out in a decade? No, probably not. Uh, For my recovery friends, they talk about what's the criteria for asking somebody to be a sponsor. It's not just somebody you like or somebody you get along with. The criteria for asking for a sponsor if you're working a recovery program is look for somebody who's been where you are and who has what you want. Jesus has been where we are. And he has what we want. So if you're somebody where you're struggling with some besetting failure, some besetting habit or hang-up that you have, maybe it's flat out some sin you just can't shake, you don't know how to say no to, and you're struggling even maybe addiction, Jesus found the way out, and he can show you And he can give you the power to say no. You're not trapped. Look at me. You're not trapped. Because somebody has been where you are and has found the way out and can help you find the way out. And lastly, because Jesus became fully human, he can set us free. This two, what I just said in this are interconnected because he's been where you've been. He can set you free. Look at this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil and free those. You need freedom from something by Jesus' own death, which was made possible by his incarnation, he can free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. I don't know who this is for today. But I believe by the grace of God that God has come to set some people free today and to break some chains in some people's lives. But friends, I want to leave you with this word here. So the first candle we lit this morning is the candle of hope. And some of you might need hope today. Jesus has come to offer it to you. And his incarnation, not only 2,000 years ago, but how his spirit and his presence has come to draw near to you right here and right now. So would you prepare your hearts to receive this benediction? And let me pray over you are the theme verse of our church. Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, go in God's peace. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week.